Angela Bathia Walsh is a licensed psychologist in Georgia. She received her doctoral degree in counseling psychology from Lehigh University. She then completed a three-year postdoctoral fellowship in clinical health and addiction psychology at Mount Sinai St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital Center, Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York. She is the owner of Bathia Consulting and Psychological Services as a private practice located in Atlanta, Georgia. She enjoys working with individuals presenting with fertility concerns, pre- and postnatal mental health. She co-leads a psychotherapy group for women in fertility treatment. Another arm of her practice includes psychological consultation for individuals involved in medically-assisted reproduction, including intended parents, gestational carrier candidates, and egg and sperm donor candidates. She practices evidence-based, culturally sensitive interventions with an emphasis on social and reproductive justice. Welcome, Angela. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's um, Fertility Cafe episode. And this week we have a guest um, and obviously based on her intro, uh, this is Angela Bathia Walsh. Uh, welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for having me, Eloise. I look okay. forward to talking with you. Yes, thank you so much for joining me and we have a lot to talk about. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the reason why I wanted to do this show um, there's a lot of gestational surrogates when you tell them, well, you have to complete a psychological evaluation uh, in order to see if you can even qualify to become a surrogate. A lot of them instantly get nervous. I know I got nervous when I had first completed my psychological evaluation and was going in there and was like, oh my God, they're going to tell me that I'm crazy. They're going to tell me that um, <laughs> there's no way in the world. And quite honestly, I think we all have a little bit of crazy anyway. But um, when it comes to the psychological evaluation to become a surrogate, and that's a determining factor, um, it's rather important. So wanted to be able to give everybody an opportunity for them to understand ahead of time, what is it really like and what can they expect when they um, go into a, a mental health professional's office? Um, well, right now, maybe not necessarily physically in the office, maybe video, um, but we'll talk mm -hmm. about all of that um, and what they can expect and kind of understand so that they can have a, a calmer sense of um, completing this evaluation. So before we get started, again, I know I just did the intro, but would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and uh, your background and uh, kind of what got you into this field? Sure. Well, Thank you so much. Um, I really look forward to this. And I am a psychologist. I've, I'm in solo private practice. I have been in private practice for eight years in Atlanta. And I actually have a PhD in counseling psychology, but all of my advanced training has been in clinical health and addiction psychology. And if we're looking on the clinical health side, I really enjoy doing consultations and evaluations of people were seeking specific kinds of medical interventions. Actually, early on in my 
career, I did some of that work with people seeking bariatric surgery. And then I ended up in this line of work, I mean, partially because of you, but partially also because of my own experience with fertility treatment. And um, I actually conceived my daughter, or we conceived our daughter using IVF and having just a, you know, a, a upfront experience with that, I think got me thinking about, you know, later on down the line, after I had my daughter, I just thought about, wow, how could I be of help or be a resource to other people who are trying to start a family or expand a family? And you are a big part of this journey. Um, I had not ever met a, a gestational surrogate or someone who had served as a surrogate ever before I met you. Um, and so just thought of more about how I could sort of evolve my practice and be a resource to people who are trying to start, expand, and obviously work alongside a gestational carrier to start or expand a family. So um, and I love this work. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big part of what I love to do as a psychologist. Oh, well, awesome. Well, I'm glad you are too. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So first question, um, why, why, what is the purpose of having a surrogate or a potential woman who is interested in becoming a surrogate, or should I just say a gestational carrier, um, what mm-hmm. is the purpose of having the psychological evaluation? There are a couple of reasons. I, I do want to preface my answer with one, this being a gestational carrier is one of the greatest sacrifices that any woman could make. Mm-hmm. And so the, per- <laughs> right. You would know firsthand. So I, we want to make sure that people who are interested, you know, who are candidates are good candidates. We also realized, you know, circling back to your point earlier, that nobody coming through this process is going to be squeaky clean. Everybody's got something. Anybody who's doing this kind of work, you know, consultations and evaluations knows that something's going to pop up in the evaluation process. And we're just trying to figure out, given that, to what extent is this person still a good candidate? We also want to help people understand or candidates understand the process that they might undergo if they're cleared in terms of medical risks, medical demands, psychological risks. You know, how might you handle it if there's a setback, if there's a transfer and the transfer doesn't take, or, you know, if there's a spontaneous abortion or miscarriage, or how might you handle it if you move forward and given all these demands, it results in a strain in your own relationship with your partner or your spouse. Just try to help people understand more about what they might be signing up for. Another reason why these consultations are helpful is because it's often the case that intended parents want to have a little bit of a snapshot of the carrier, try to get a sense of who they are, see what they have in common. It's often helpful for them to feel connected in some way to the gestational carrier candidate and that might help them in decision-making in terms of matching and things of that nature. And finally, we're just trying to get a snapshot of who the candidate is in the moment. I mean, we can't predict with any great degree of specificity how the process will be like for them, you know, the arrangement will be like for them months, you know, maybe even years down the line, but we want to collect as much information as possible to be able to 
have a sense of what it might be like for them. So those are just a couple of reasons. I mean, we'll go into greater detail, but those are just a couple of reasons as to why. Okay. And then the majority um, of candidates, not the majority, but a lot of people um, also have spouses or partners. Why do they have to be involved in a psychological evaluation? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they play a big role, right? Like we want to be able to have a sense of one, it's also, it's always nice to see how the couple interacts during the consultation and most couples come in and, you know, they say they're nervous and they're like holding hands and they want me to know that, you know, they get along and get along great. And we also, that's wonderful. We also want to get a sense of how do they handle conflict, difficult conversations. We want to also have a sense of the spouse and, and the partner's sort of status snapshot. Who are they? And we also want to know if the spouse and the partner is going to be supportive. Is this someone who is encouraging the candidate to pursue this process? Is this a spouse or a partner who is trying to sabotage the process or coerce the GC candidate in some way? So it really is important and required for the spouse or the partner to to attend. So it's helpful for the person or the examiner to have a sense of, you know, how they fit into all this. And also, I mean, we also ask many of the same questions of the spouse or partner as we do the carrier. Like, we also want to know more about who they are, about their history. They play a huge role in this process. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I always try to impart to people when it comes to surrogacy. It's like, yes, the gestational carrier may be the one carrying the pregnancy and doing all of the work pretty much. But she's not the mm-hmm. only one involved. I mean, it really is her, her spouse or partner, children, mm-hmm. everybody that is in her circle is part of this journey. It's not just her. So um, yeah. being able to have that support, I mean, I can't even go into detail about how important it is to have support during a surrogacy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. For sure. We just want to make sure that the spouse, you know, at least the spouse is there and on the same page. And we also do ask about other people in their orbit, you know, what about their own parents or siblings or friends, or sometimes people refer to their church family or something like that. And we just want to get a sense of to what extent people are supportive or whether there is anyone else even in their circle who might be urging them to do this or pressuring them to do this, because we, we certainly want to be able to make sure and and talk with the carrier about that. This is, this is your decision really and no one else's Um, and be very clear about that because this is again, one of the highest sacrifices and this is also carrying a baby and, you know, for another couple. So we really want to assess pretty well for that. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. So let's talk about the evaluation itself. And I typically tell people that it's kind of a two-part process um, and that there's a part of verbally communicating and and answering the questions that's um, being asked uh, by the mental health professional, but then there's also testing that is involved. So can you kind mm-hmm. of speak on both parts and then perhaps also talk about why um, or what the testing I should be, I should say, um, is really utilized for? Sure, sure, sure. So we usually conduct 
I call it a clinical interview, but it really ends up being just a conversation. And, you know, it's really helpful to, to get a sense of who both parties are, you know, the, the carrier and her spouse or partner. And usually you start the, the conversation asking them about how they met. That's always a fun story, you know, sort of getting a sense of where they've been, where they're going, uh, a little bit about their family of origin. It's also helpful to know work history. We also obviously talk about their own relationship history. And again, how do they manage conflict? Um, what have been some highs? What have been some lows in their relationship? And how have they managed that all? What, if any, significant losses have there been? Because we do also want to get a sense of how people manage separation from, you know, a significant um, relationship. And in this case, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, we also want to have a clear sense of, as clear as possible, a sense of how the carrier might manage separation from the intended offspring at birth. Also, we ask about other aspects of their personal history, sexual history. We talk about medical history. It's always nice to talk about what's important to them, what their values are, what are their goals personally, you know, what are their strengths personally, what are their growth edges religion. It's always a great opportunity to talk about what they believe. And again, we'll circle that later and talk about why that's important when it comes to assisted reproductive technology. You know, again, just trying to get a sense of how people cope with stress. We ask about their history of emotional concerns, financial status. So it it really is a pretty well-rounded, I would say, conversation. Again, just trying to get this sort of 360 view of somebody and just really two and a half hours, which is why we also do some testing, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. And just giving people also an opportunity to describe themselves, you know, what are their qualities and things of that nature. And then later on in the interview and sometimes sprinkled here or there, we just, it's always helpful to get a sense of why, like why and why now, you know? Mm-hmm. What's your, what are your reasons for pursuing surrogacy? Why now? And sometimes carriers say, well, I thought about it years ago and I had a friend who served as a carrier and I just wasn't in a position in my life where I could do it. And now that I'm married and we're finished having children, it seems to be like the right time. And that's always like a nice conversation to have with people and just their thoughts about surrogacy in general. We do get into some deeper details in terms of what, if any, thoughts they had about, you know, just envisioning what this process might be like for them. So, for example, how many transfers are they willing to undergo in order to achieve a successful pregnancy? What are their thoughts about the medical demands, for example, having to possibly take medications or injections for an extended period of time? That is an awfully demanding process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just, it is a huge lifestyle change. It's you know, you're doing what you do day to day, and then you also have to take medications or injections at a certain time and for an extended period of time. And so we do have questions around adherence, and is this something that you think you could do? How do you think you might do it? We also explore, again, the morals and religion and that piece. What do you believe about, you know, pregnancy or what kinds of morals do you have that might affect um, the process of selective reduction or abortion in the case that there might be um, multiple um, or gr- a great number of, of multiples or 
if there's if in the case the fetus's life or it looks like the fetus or the intended offspring might have a really poor quality of life, you know, where where do you draw the line there in terms mm-hmm. of what you believe morally or your religious beliefs? And, you know, under what circumstances would you do this or not? So that is really important because we have a similar conversation with intended parents there. What if they have multiples, you know, having a conversation about risks and, you know, the the potential for, you know, infertility and death in general as it relates to pregnancy, the increased risk when it comes to multiples, where are their thoughts about that? Are they willing to carry multiples? If so, up to how many? Cross-cultural issues. And this is also a very interesting conversation to have with people. Like, what are your thoughts about you know, cross-cultural dynamics, who are you willing to carry for? Maybe who are you not willing to carry for? Are you willing to carry for intended parents who are racially or ethnically different from you, who have religious differences, maybe differences in sexual orientation? If you're a heterosexual carrier, are you open to carrying for a same-sex couple? And if that is the case, are there allies, again, in your orbit? This is where the support system becomes really important. Are there allies in your orbit who, who, you know, if the couple wanted to visit you while you were pregnant, that that would be an affirming space for them? And then, you know, just some other questions. Like, are you willing to stay Mm -hmm. in a state Mm -hmm. where you are until parentage is established? If the IPs, intended parents, have many restrictions, what do you think about that? You know, if they ask you to follow a vegetarian diet, is that something you're willing to sign up for? If they have travel restrictions, that has been definitely a conversation to have during the pandemic. It already was in terms of like Zika-infected areas, but with the pandemic, we've become, we've become even more restricted in terms of our freedom to travel. So, you know, how might you handle that? Or obviously, how might you handle separations and time of delivery? So, you know, we really do walk people and through the process, help them to envision what might it be like leading up to the transfer, after the transfer, during pregnancy, at the time of delivery. And then like, what kind of relationship do you even want with the IPs? Do you want this to be a, a business-like relationship? Do you want there to be like, do you want to receive sort of updates on milestones over the years? Or do you want to be more like extended family to the IPs and to the intended offspring? Do you even want to meet the intended offspring? And oftentimes, um, and you know, the surrogacy agencies and especially yours sounds like does a really good job with having these conversations up front. And so mm-hmm. the consultation is another opportunity to have these, this conversation. And oftentimes I notice um, that people think more about this between, you know, from the time they meet with the surrogacy agency to the time that they show up and see me. Um, but, you know, I, we still have some conversations about issues or dynamics they may not have even thought of. Mm-hmm. So now what about going back to the testing um, and there yeah. mm-hmm. being this, um, which I really hate, but these personality tests that uh, that's out there. So there's two, correct, that people tend to use? There's two that people tend to use, yes. Um, and the reason for this is because we often have way more questions to ask than time allows for. And not to mention, even according to, you know, basically any ethics code you might see around assessment will usually say that it's really helpful to 
collect more than one source of data in order to help make a determination or in order to um, develop some like impressions about what you see as an examiner. So it really is an ethical thing to do, to do some testing. And so it really is helpful because these are tests that are designed to pick up on a very wide variety of personality characteristics. And so basically just, I usually tell people, you know, that, and so, you know, just try to approach it in an honest and open manner. I mean, you know, we're trying to get to know you and the only way we can, again, determine the degree of fit for this process. And obviously for the IPs is to, you know, really for the carrier candidate to be as open as possible so we can have the, the information we need to make that determination about fit and match. Mm-hmm. And what are the tests called? So, and there's, I mean, there's no specific test that we have to choose, but it seems like one of the, some of the more popular ones are the MMPI, um, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, and the PAI Personality Assessment Inventory. And is it, and it's a, and I, I know this because I've done taking them many, many times, um, fill in the bubble. <laughs> yep. It's, they're both multiple choice and we, they're self-administered. So people, you know, usually in most cases do it themselves. And then, um, you know, we may proctor um, and usually do proctor and just be there if the person um, has any questions. Obviously, you know, give them directions, see if they have any questions, and then they complete it on their own. And then once they're finished, they let us know. And then what we do is take time to score it, interpret it, take that information, compare it to the information we collected during the conversation. And it really, really is often very helpful to help us again, like get a sense of who people are, how they might manage certain situations, communicate, manage conflict, things of that nature. Okay. Is it common for the spouses to also take those tests? We don't necessarily require the spouses to take them, but Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know about every other agency or physician or whatever. Right. I, you know, I, it seems to me that it varies. It's really up to the judgment, uh, clinical judgment of the mental health provider. I don't typically administer the questionnaire to the spouses or the partners unless I have a question or unless I observe something and I think I want to look into something or maybe there's something about their history or, you know, psychological history or something I'd like to look further into. It's rare that I administer a questionnaire. And then I know people who do that as regular practice. They actually assess both the spouse or partner and the carrier candidate. So it really just varies on the by provider. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So now, obviously, we've done the GC's evaluation. And so let's hop over to the intended parents. And for the intended parents, though, it's not necessarily an evaluation. It's more of a consultation. Can you share the Mm -hmm. difference? Yes. So, you know, I often begin, I do begin the conversation with the intended parents and let them know this is not a parental fitness evaluation. I'm not trying to determine whether or not they would be good parents. The purpose of the consultation is really, again, just to make sure they know what they're signing up for, you know, in the process of seeking a gestational carrier, help them understand um, 
again, some of the demand, some of the psychological risks. And we, we really just want to make sure that we have the conversation necessary so that it's a positive experience for them. It's a healthy experience for them. We also want them to have a sense of what the nuances are in the process. And for the most part, I've worked with intended parents who had their own experience with fertility treatment. So that's kind of nice because they already have a, a good idea about certain medical risks and certain you know, emotional risks. And obviously still want to have a conversation as in terms of how that all you know, plays out when you invite a gestational carrier into the picture. And so, but, you know, even with intended parents who have not had any experience with art, still having a conversation about what are you signing up for? What are, you know, what are the nuances? How might you manage? You know, we all hope for success, right? In mm. in the case that there are setbacks, how might you manage that as a couple or with the GC or even if they're, is a disagreement with the GC, how might you handle that? Um, what are your expectations here? So it's a much shorter conversation, usually runs about an hour to an hour and a half. Um, there's not usually any um, testing involved. And again, there that also varies by provider. There are some providers who do administer uh, questionnaires to intended parents. I tend to not do that again, unless I think I need to look into something, which is usually not the case. So for the intended mm-hmm. parents, is there anything that they need to be aware of when they are going in for their psychological consultation? Um, you know, I've had many times where when we tell the intended parents, oh, yeah, you know, you have to complete a psychological consultation. And everybody's like, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I think that I'm, I'm okay. And, you know, but what are kind of the questions are they going to ask? I mean, are they going to be, and I always have to remind them, it's like, we're not a value. Nobody is evaluating you to determine mm-hmm. if you're going to be suitable parents. It's to make sure that you really understand the process, but what right. is it that you can kind of share with them so that they know what they're going to um, experience when they're going in for their evaluation or not, excuse me, not evaluation consultation. Yeah, again, and it's definitely, what it is not is a parental fitness evaluation. I think probably most people get anxious when they hear the words psychologist and evaluation in the same sentence, or even consultation, or just even psychologist, right? Like, people are nervous about what's this person going to think, and also, you know, if they, once they come to a conclusion, how will it affect us? And so, IPs are often nervous, so just helping them understand that, you know what, this really is just a conversation, a conversation about the process, what to expect, what do you already know, and what, where can I help you fill in the gaps to help you make a, de- a decision, a very informed decision about whether or not you want to move forward here. Oftentimes, you know, and obviously there's the snapshot about, like, you know, trying to get a snapshot of who people are and their background and all of that. And, People are often very open because I think by the time I reach that point in the interview, they feel very comfortable. But the point is to be comfortable, to be yourself. I'm, you know, not here or the psychologist or the mental health provider is not there to make a determination or judgment about you, that this really is an opportunity, again, for us to get to know you. And in order for us to do that, it is helpful for you to be open and honest and just be yourself, really. And also, it can be a great opportunity to to 
learn some information. So, for example, there are some intended parents I've worked with in the past who are interested in working with a gestational carrier and who are also interested in using like an egg donor or, you know, a sperm donor or, Mm -hmm. um, and so just to get more information about that, right? Like what's the difference between an anonymous donor and an open donor and an open ID donor and really making sure that people have the education, the information that they need to make informed decisions about going into this process and thinking forward too. Mm-hmm. You know, what if you do decide to use a donor and, you know, you move forward with this process with a donor egg or sperm, how, how might you handle that five years down the line, 10 years down the line? Is this something you might regret? If this is something that you would like for the intended offspring to know about, how might you handle that? And based on that or related to that, what kind of donor might you choose, you know, donor arrangement might you choose? So. And it's also a great opportunity to for people to think about cultural issues as this, you know, plays out. So, you know, if using a donor, for example, having conversations about racial similarities and things of that nature. So oftentimes intended parents really appreciate the conversation at the end of the day, even though they're nervous at the beginning, but really helps them think this through as much as possible what they could expect and help them think about things that they hadn't really thought about, mm-hmm. but obviously in a, in a safe and collaborative space. And then now, so the parents have to have their psychological consultation. And then of course the GC has had her psychological evaluation. And then once mm-hmm. everybody's matched and uh, ready to go, then we say, well, you also have to have a joint psychological consultation Mm -hmm. so can you share a bit about that Mm -hmm. and that's really brief like that might be 30 minutes to an hour and it's just sort of a meeting of the minds the parties come together and the mental health provider goes through and basically just a meeting to make sure that everybody's on the same page with the transfer plan the delivery plan what if any expectations there might be of the carrier once the carrier is pregnant. Again, this is an opportunity to make sure everyone's on the same page about what if any dietary restrictions there are, travel restrictions. Also, another opportunity to have a conversation about morals and religion and, you know, an agreement on how folks might handle the situation if there's a need for selective reduction, if there are many uh, multiples or um, abortion and just wanting to make sure everyone's on the same page and get a sense of how they communicate, whether it's in the actual room or the virtual room, helps us get a sense of how they might manage conflict, also have a conversation about that when there are disagreements and they often say, oh, no, 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 there's not going to be any disagreements. And I often go back in and say, when there are disagreements, mm-hmm. because that's going to happen, we want to talk about how do you want to handle that? What are going to be the norms? You know, how do you prefer to have these conversations? Most people say, well, definitely not texting or email. Phone is preferable or video conference or something of that nature or a physical meeting even. So it really is sort of the, you know, that happens on the back end and we just want to fine tune and make sure everyone's on the same page about how they will move forward in the process. 
again, to the best of our ability, we can't predict again with any great degree of specificity how things are going to play out, especially in the middle of a pandemic, but mm. at least have a game plan or a blueprint. And the thing about surrogacy is really about trust. Like you have to be able mm-hmm. to trust one another and then you have to be able to communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's those two things involved, then not to say that there's not going to be hiccups and issues or whatever, but if you can, if you can easily communicate and if you trust each other, then those things that come up are more easy to um, figure out and, and adapt to mm-hmm. and, and move forward. Yeah, for sure. And that's part of the reason why we do all of this assessment is because we want to make sure that one of the qualities a carrier has, for example, is that she has the potential to trust people. You know, there there might be some carriers who have been burnt in the past or have like an extensive, I don't know, history where it really is hard for them to take a risk and trust people um, and, you know, even communicate with people. So we really want to make sure that, again, we're not looking for a squeaky clean candidate. There's there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. We do want to have a sense of how this person approaches difficult conversations. And sometimes, actually, what's often the case is I'm having to talk to the carrier candidate about their need to be assertive, their need to, if there's something that the intended parent is asking them to do, to say something. Um, many carriers think, and some of them have this style where they tend to be maybe passive or defer to other people in general. And then just imagine how that might show up in an arrangement where intended parents are spending thousands and thousands of dollars on medical interventions and this and that. And so sometimes carriers feel like, well, I'm not in any place to say anything because, you know, I'm doing them a favor. Mm-hmm. And it really is important to have a conversation about that, not just during the consultation with the carrier candidate, but also during the joint consultation. Um, how are you going to, definitely important to assert yourself, tell them what you, you need, right? Um, and step up and just, um, you know, just be clear about what your boundaries are with the IPs. And you can still do a good job as a carrier while being firm and direct and assertive. Yeah, definitely. Um, and sometimes then there's others like me who are very direct and just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just need to say what I need to say. So there you have it. (laughs) Right. But even in that, you know, like being direct trust, trust comes from that. Right. Like if, if someone is direct about what they need, the receiving party is like, huh, well, at least I know that, you know, they're a straight shooter. <laughs> they just say what they what they need to say. And so trust can grow from that, I think, transparency. So what would you tell both parties um, in conclusion when it comes to the psychological or the, should I say, the, the mental health side of surrogacy? In terms of the like just in general of what what should or what can um help them through the process and mm-hmm. um try to make it as smooth as possible so not that it's another mm-hmm. thing to check off the box and okay fine it's behind me and, and I'm done but so that they can really utilize and really take what you said or take what the mental health person said and really help use it to help them throughout their journeys got it right well, one thing that can be helpful or 
I have a conversation with people about is let's say there is a history of, or either party or both parties sometimes have a history of anxiety or depression and um, to some extent, you know, um, depression or it's a nice opportunity to talk about, you know, if this pops up during this process, how might you handle this? And again, we do get into assessing um, what the potential risks are there as well. Like if someone has a history, like a, a history of psychological problems, how might this play out? So we do have a have a conversation about potential risk if they do move forward and if they are cleared, then how might you handle this if it pops up, you know, this anxiety or depression or or whatever that is, or if there's a trauma history, you know, how might you or how have you in the past managed going in for GYN exams or OB exams or whatever that is. So um, it's nice to sort of foreshadow a little bit or predict a little bit around that. The other thing that I strongly encourage both parties to do is to seek professional support at any time during this process, whether even if they're just waiting for medical clearance, um, before the transfer, after the transfer, during pregnancy, following delivery, at any time. It can be very, 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 very helpful. Again, there are so many just, not just the medical demands and the and the schedules of, you know, the medication, but also just the, again, the emotional risk here, you know, how to cope with the potential setbacks or um, you know, sometimes cycles are canceled for some reason or they stop and, you know, hopes hopes are up and next thing you know, things go south and, oh, we have to stop and start over again. And that can be extremely difficult for people to accept and very, very stressful, not to mention having to, you know, go to clinics at 7 a.m. in the morning or a couple of days, you know, consecutive uh, days or whatever that is, but just to help people. Um, think about seeking professional support from a mental health provider to help them cope, help them manage stress, along with the many other things that are going on. You know, these folks often already have families and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So really, really strongly encourage people to think about that and, you know, think far into the future about how they might handle certain situations that tax them quite a bit. And speaking of this pandemic, I know it's changed a lot of things of how people um, Mm -hmm. do stuff now. Um, So how is it working now with people completing evaluations or consultations and it all has to be remote or via video? Right. Well, again, providers vary in how they're providing um, mental health services. I'm one of those providers where I plan to work virtually probably well into the spring of 2020. And so like, I'll speak of for myself. My practice. 2021, sorry. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants to get rid of 2020. We wanted this. Ooh, I know. 2020 it behind seems us. like it's never going to end. Thank you for that. <laughs> 2021. Thank you for that correction. So I'm so right now I'm using a video conferencing platform to do all of my work. And even in the virtual room, I think, you know, we still are able to have these good conversations. I mean, obviously I do ask, I have to sort of adjust my direction, like make sure that you both 
you know, both parties, if the GC or carrier candidate, for example, has a spouse or a partner, just make sure your spouse or partner is also within the camera view. I, I need to see you both. Same with the intended parents. And I, I, I don't notice a difference in the depth of conversation. We can still have very good conversations. It's just the format. It's just very different. The setting is very different. But, yeah. um, you yeah, know, just I am still practicing physical distancing uh, to minimize any risk here. And, and certainly discussion about even being pregnant during the pandemic. That's obviously a discussion to have. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. about that? And um, actually, many people I speak with are really um, thinking this is this, sure. I mean, they're already working from home. They think that's kind of a nice thing to be pregnant while working from home, right? They're they're able to rest when they need to, so they actually see it as a an advantage to be pregnant during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, Angela, I thank you so much for joining us and answering these questions and kind of giving somebody a picture of what they can expect. Um, and hopefully this will kind of give them a, a better understanding and um, make them a little less nervous when they're going in the door. So yes, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this conversation because I think it is important for people to have a better sense of what to expect. And, you know, even from a mental health provider's perspective and that um, the, the best conversations are the ones where people feel like they can be themselves. You know, all of this is really just to get as much information as we can to make sure that, you know, whatever match or arrangement happens from this, that um, as much as possible determine that it's going to be a positive and healthy one for everybody, right? So yeah. thank you so much, Eloise. I appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow Fertility Cafe on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. This episode concludes Season 1 of Fertility Cafe. Stay tuned for Season 2 for more conversations about modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Eloise Drain. Remember, Love has no limits, neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.